Today is Wednesday. It is October 28th, 2020, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time we have together this evening. We thank you for those who have joined our study. We pray for wisdom as we approach your word. Uh, give us the understanding of uh, how to take those verses and apply them to our lives. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Amen. Amen. So we are in Romans 8.27 tonight. We'll take some time, as we usually do, for some Q&A, but we will hopefully get to our text in Romans, which is 8.27. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So hopefully we'll try to take that apart a little bit, see how far we get. Um, we'll pause to see if we have any questions, any thoughts out there, uh, comments. So the floor is open. All right, I'll take that from Oh, go right ahead, Dwight. Um, I'm, look, I'm looking at Romans chapter 12, uh, especially um, both 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2, but mostly 2. And um, I know we've, we've been over this plenty of times before, mm -hmm. and we've talked about that the translation is typically do not be conformed to this world. Um, but in the Greek, we have a more definitive word, which basically translates more literally into stop being conformed to this world. Mm -hmm. um, and be transformed by the renewing or the renewal of your mind. And uh, sometimes I look at this, the, uh, the first part of that, about do not be conformed to this world, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, um, stop being conformed to this world. It seems like a, um, that right there is a very, very difficult thing to do. And to a certain extent, it, it's personal how well you'll be able to do that. And what I mean is that, you know, I, I work hard um, to maintain my lifestyle. And how much of my lifestyle would fit into the category of the pattern of this world. And... Um, so what it is that I am and am not conformed to in this world seems to be a personal judgment kind of thing. So is there is there a more definitive definition with you know meaning to what we are not supposed to be conformed with? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I especially since there is a lot of uh variance in what people people's likes and dislikes are and uh so yeah so i mean it's a it's a clear command to stop it right uh so we we got to identify what the world is uh, we, we live in the world and it doesn't say that we don't that we should be uh, aloof or separate from everybody we have to be here because obviously if we're here for an evangelistic purpose, at least, we have to interact with other people. We're not to exclude ourselves from unbelievers. It talks us to, tells us to be circumspect as we uh, are around them. In other words, pay attention. 
to what we say because you know our goals we shouldn't treat them as though they're in the body of Christ uh, we gotta treat them so that with a view toward helping them come into the body of Christ but yeah I think there is a definitive way to look at this and I think it's found right here in the verse so conforming to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so our focus should not be on this world our focus should be on the renewal of our minds and once we do that then we won't be conformed to the pattern of this world because our focus is allowing God to transform our thinking according to the the truth that is in Christ right so the mind of Christ or uh, what Christ has received from the Father and that's the calling of our life uh, so we what well, if we're focused on the hope that is set before us the hope of our calling then the things of this world will as the song says grow strangely dim but th that's true because uh, what we're overwhelmed by is what God's transformation, his plan, right? The hope of his calling. That's the transformation. So I think if we look at it sort of uh, backwards, you know, if we say, um, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? And, and, you, and you will stop, as a result, you will stop being conformed to the pattern of this world. I think that's how it would work. So you can't you can't stop things when you don't know why it is you're stopping them. Well, you can, but that would be more of a religious point of view. God is saying that there's something that you have to change your mind about, and that is the renewing of your mind. And as you do that, you are already relinquishing yourself from the thinking of this world. So, and then the last part of the verse confirms it, I would say. Because it says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So if you know what that is, then that means you, you, you have been transformed. Your mind is in the process of being transformed. Because then you, you're able to do what God will consider good. Right? If you are not able to do it because you're being hindered by it, then it becomes a matter of the will. Suppose you know what to do, but you don't want to do it. Now it becomes a matter of the will. And this uh, command that Paul gives in verse 2 directly bears on your free will, on your volition. That's saying, Dwight, you, you stop. This is something. Here's, you have a choice before you. Right? That you need to stop being conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, I think it does have a good endpoint when you think about it. Uh, because each of us has options to make when we're here. <clears throat> we have to decide what we're going to do with our life. You know, we, we could, there's lots of songs and sayings it talks about we got one life to live and you know uh, we got the right to to decide our own destiny and you know all kinds of things that people and that's in us but you know i'd say all of those those things are true 
we do have the right to decide our own destiny, our own way. And that's with, and we feel like we have that right. If somebody says, you can't live a certain way, we feel like you're hindering us. But we, each of us has that right, and, and that's an inherent right uh, that we have, and it's related to the freedom of our souls. But what we're saying is different a little bit, because even though we have that right, we're saying that we are submitting, we are of our own free will, submitting the rights of our life to Christ, to his lordship, his rulership over us. And to the end, that we are those who uh, understand, come to love and trust the Father with our lives. So, same thing as salvation, right? You, you trust the matter of your soul's salvation to Christ. In the Christian way of life, you are submitting the matter of your life, the, the fact that you have the right to live your life. You're submitting that to Christ and, and saying, okay, I'm surrendering my life to you. Now, that is not something you do once. You will have to make decisions along the way when it comes to the road of surrender. I'll pause. All right. I, I guess you, I could um, translate that a, a couple of different ways. One way would be when you were talking about not being able, we can't just stop being conformed to this world without doing something else. So in that sense, we could almost say, um, you know, be transformed by the renewal of your mind until you stop conforming to the patterns of this world. And then that until becomes a, uh, an act of the will as, as well. So the first priority, the first objective is to focus on God's word and approach it with approach with a humble heart and be willing to be teachable and let the Holy Spirit guide you into all truth. And then as a result of that we can, you know, we can now we are informed, we can make an informed decision to say, yes, my will will be in line with God's will. And I can test and know his his good and perfect will. Um but I guess I would I would still you know, there's still a little bit of um, room for negotiation, put it that way. And what I mean by that is we can decide on, on each person to decide, well, how much of conforming to this world do I want to stop? And what is getting in the way of me focusing on, um, on God's work? So let's, let's say I'm overworked or something, and I have no opportunity to focus on his word, even though that's my will. I would love to do that, but I just don't have a chance because, you know, I'm, I have so much work to do. Or, you know, so what, what is the balance there? Um, and, it, and it sounds like that would be answered on an individual basis. And except for religion, there's no way to answer that for population. <clears throat> yeah, I, I would agree with that comment, that okay. it is on an individual basis. Uh, each person's different. But just know, no matter how different we are, we all are conformed to the pattern of this world. Why? Because that's we were born into this. This is our experience. 
So everybody has to relinquish themselves of that. When I say has to, I mean that that is the, the command, that we uh, relinquish ourselves from the world and that we adopt the Father's plan, right? This is the, so that we can be renewed and understand his will for our lives. So it's not like the law. It's not like we're under the law. See, we, you would think, okay, the law says, here's how you function, here's what you should be doing, here's how, and this is for everybody, period. But see, it's not the law. We're under the ministry of the Spirit. And you might say, well, that's kind of like, you know, you can kind of like, there's, it's, it doesn't really have a solid foundational direction. And I would say, not so, because it's the Spirit's job to lead and guide us into all truth, and not only does the spirit is he in us he's not just residing in us he knows us perfectly and more perfectly if there was some idiosyncrasy that you have and someone else doesn't the spirit will know what that is we are naked before god and god deals and integrates with our persons in such a way that he becomes a part of us. And that integration is so uh, so solid that we can't even think of operating according to the will of God apart from the Spirit. I mean, that is the only way we're able to operate. So what Paul is saying is exploit that. Move forward and allow the Spirit to have more control of your life. The more he controls your life, more he influences you to live according to truth, the more you will depart from the ways of this world. So it, the integration is even tighter than what the law had over the individuals that were there. And this is what God says to Israel when, when the new covenant comes to them, because of course they're not, God's dealing with the church right now, but after this is over, He's going to deal with Israel again. And that's just in the previous chapter, in fact. And then he says in, in the New Covenant, he says he will write his laws in their minds and in their hearts. So this is something that happens in the New Covenant. This is not the same thing that we have. You know why? Because we're not under the law. <laughs> we're not under the law. So having the law written in our hearts and minds is not for us. It's for the nation Israel. And the nation Israel, so before the law, they, it wasn't written in their hearts and their minds. And they strayed and they, you know, they failed. But in the new covenant, the laws will be written in their hearts and in their minds. So it, it'll almost be like they'll, they'll be, it'll be hard-coded in them to an extent. And they will automatically be what God wants them to be. That's part of the new covenant promise. In fact, I could just read that real quick. But that's not us. I'm, I'm just showing you the integration. What God has given us is different. We have the Spirit. So in Romans, was it not Romans, but Hebrews 8. So it says, yeah, so 8, Hebrews 8. Uh, and, and I'll just read it from... Seven, eight, seven. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. 
But God found fault with the people and said, days are, so he's talking about what happened in the Mosaic law, right? It wasn't, it didn't, he found fault with the people. They were not following the law. I mean, they were straying from it. Everything he said, don't do, they did. <laughs> but God found, verse eight, God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the house of, uh, and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another know the lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest and he goes on i will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more by calling this covenant new he has made the first one obsolete and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear so god has a way of writing you know, or, or making even a more intimate choice uh, for his people. And what we have is so unique. It's the Holy Spirit within us. It's a part of who we are. Holy Spirit is not just some laws written in our minds, but the Holy Spirit is, is God. He's, it's etern He's eternal God. And we have God as a part of who we are. We, we, we will never shed who he is. He will never shed us. Even if he's grieved and quenched, that means his influence cannot be felt or he can't rule in our lives, but he's still there. We will never lose the ministry of the spirit that we have. So I think that's the answer as to why for each person it's individual. And I think the individual nature is even more strong than what the law had. Uh, the law could not govern. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 has a lot to say about the two ministries. The ministry of the Spirit is even more glorious. Uh, the ministry uh, the, of the law was, if, if that came with glory, it has no glory now when compared with the surpassing glory of the ministry of the Spirit. So you can read those things to say that that, what God is leading us in, in terms of the spirit of truth, is far more comprehensive than what, uh, than anything I could say that ever was uh, a provision on, from God. So I'll pause. So, you know, you mentioned um, uh, this transformation, uh, that the scripture demands do not conform to the pattern of this world uh, but be transferred by the renewing of your mind and what came to my mind was because uh, you mentioned religion uh, and what what comes to my mind is that I think people uh, we're talking about the Christian way of life uh, with the power of the baptism of the spirit to instruct us and lead us and guide us uh, I think people com confuse uh, the Mosaic Law 
and they want to be spiritual Israel, like you mentioned that that church, that new covenant, mm-hmm. and I can I think they get confused about what is conforming to the world by mixing in the law mm. and the spirit and the church age uh, worship is much higher than yeah. obeying uh, just obeying the law. I right. think they mix it in. And so therefore they can run ahead of being of their transformation uh, because they make misapplications to the law about morality and what's good and bad. And it's through their works that they accomplish these things, mm-hmm. not through the power of the spirit and a real transformation of the heart. Right. And, um, what, or the thinking. Yeah. I don't know if I said that correctly, but. No, I think I understand. Yeah. What you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's definitely contrast that we can, can see between uh, what they had under the works of the law or as Romans 7 would say, Romans 7, when it says, uh, verse 6, by now dying to that which once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new, the new way of the spirit. There it is. And not the old way of the written code. So there, that Romans 7, 6 is that new way of the spirit that we serve. It's much more integrated, much more personal, much more intimate with who we are and, and what we're doing. Uh, we, ju- we can't even think of it in terms of um, what could have been under the law. The law could not produce this. And that goes back to four. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. Notice, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Isn't that what we've been talking about on Sundays, right? So there you have the same understanding from Paul as we do. But notice what it took for us to be able to bear fruit. It had to, we had to go through the death, burial, and resurrection. So that, that's what it means that this bearing fruit now is possible for us, whereas it was not possible for those in previous dispensations. So uh, they, they more are in the category here of Hebrews chapter 10. The law is only a shadow of good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For if it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, they would not. would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. So he's talking about how the old covenant works. It was not perfect. It was not meant to be perfect. It was only put in place until God would send Christ. So, and uh, rectify all things. Although since the mystery age has happened, we are, the church is under new covenant principles, but we're not under the new covenant to Israel. The new covenant to Israel will happen once the church age is raptured. And this is when I will, uh, I will turn godlessness from Jacob and, and, and take away their sins and I will forgive their sins and so forth and so on. So, yeah, 
there's there's def definitely a difference, but we haven't even talked about the transformation process, which is it's tough. And people have to face what is in the, the mind of the spirit as it relates to who they are. The spirit is he has a job to do with you. He's, his goal is to lead and guide you in all truth. And the only reason why you won't get to all truth won't be because you won't be able to show up at the judgment sheet of Christ and say, God, it was the spirit you gave me that is the reason why I didn't make it. <laughs> it's the, it, you can't say any of that. It's going to be you who are to blame. So the way we have to see this is the only way we don't make it is because of us. It's not because of the Spirit. And I, w I would have to think that he's doing his job well. And as stubborn as I am, I would have to think that. So I'll pause. All right, so we're going to move right into Romans 8 then. Romans 8. Let's read 26 and we'll land right on 27, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. We're ignorant. But the Spirit Himself, God the Holy Spirit, who is in us, intercedes for us with wordless groans. And then he who, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So let's see if we can break it down a little bit. So that he who searches our hearts, right? Who is he that searches our hearts? That's the Father. Father is the one that searches our hearts. He's, if we think about who is it, right? It's in Scripture. That's who it is, and He also knows the mind of the Spirit. You know, this is almost the reverse. So this is interesting because I want to show you something here. First Corinthians chapter two. First Corinthians chapter two. We already said the Father searches our hearts, right? But now what we're seeing here is the Spirit searching the Father. Right? I'm going to show you. This is 1 Corinthians 2. And I guess we'll look at verses uh, 10 through 12. So 10 says, These are the things God has revealed to us by the Spirit. What things? Well, things that I have not seen, ear have not heard, not entered into the heart of mind, or, or man, human mind has not conceived. Right, so these are the things God the, God has revealed to us by His Spirit. So this is God the Father revealing these things to us, and what is the means by which He does it? It's the said to be by the Spirit. <laughs> then it goes into some <coughs> some information about the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, and notice, even the deep things of God. Now, does now I just as we look at this, the Spirit is able to invest. The search means to investigate, right? To find out, right? 
so the spirit goes through and finds out uh, all things, even the deep things of God. So when it says that, it's almost a reverse. So on the, in the one verse that we had in Romans 8, the Father searches the hearts, right? But here in this verse, it's the Spirit who is searching the heart of the Father because he searches and gets the deep, deep things of God. Now, to note, what are the deep things of God? What are the deep things of God? Well, it's, it's the, the mystery information, the, the information that has been hidden and God destined for our glory before time began. There would be no way we could know what those things are. The Spirit has to search those things out. If he if he hadn't done that and presented them to us, we there's no way we could know it because those things are only revealed by the Spirit. We can't get them any other way. So the Spirit knows what that is, and he is able to reveal them to us. That's how we know the deep things of God. That's how we know what eye has not seen, ear has not heard, or, and so forth. So verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? So the own spirit within them is our own consciousness. Or the life that we have has with it consciousness, comes with consciousness. And when when I think about every one of you have your own stream of consciousness right now. You could think what you want. I can't know what it is and neither can anybody else. But God knows. So who knows, verse 11, who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? Nobody else. No other person can know in the same way no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So God is, is linking the spirit of God with his consciousness. But in this case, just to note, it is not just about consciousness. It's about the Father's plan. So I used to look at these verses and say, yeah, see, we can know literally what God is thinking right now, right? Because I took the analogy to a place where, you know, well, I know what's in my stream of consciousness. That means, can I know what's in God's stream of consciousness? And I, and I had to back down off of that because really, it's not about that. It's about us knowing the plan, the Father's eternal purpose. That's what the Spirit's job is to lead and guide us into all truth. It, it, that is the extent uh, of the Father's eternal purpose. And so it's, it's not about, oh, what is God thinking right now? Well, the Spirit can tell me. It's not about that. It's about the Holy Spirit taking us and, you know, where we have no clue about this mystery and then leading and guiding us to the deep, what he calls the deep things of God, which are for the mature. So verse 12, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, right? The world can't tell us because it's been hidden God, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand, there it is, what God has freely given us. And no, we don't have to earn it, right? This is God wants to give it to us. The only reason why we won't get it is because we won't receive it. And that goes back to the earlier verse. Stop being conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So, that's, and if I go back to thinking about this, I'm, you have to say that what we see here in this searching with the Father, know who knows, who searches the hearts, and the Spirit 
who is able to search the deep things of God and all that. What we're seeing here is what I have to say is the language of accommodation with this term searches. That's what I think it is. I don't, for some reason, I'm looking at it, but I'm, I'm thinking that God is trying to tell us how thorough this process that he has and how intimate it is with us. Right? This whole thing about, uh, you know, the Spirit searches the deep things of God. The Spirit is able to reveal to you the, the deep things of God is the Father's heart. This is, when we say it's the Father's heart, we're saying it's, uh, you know, it, it, it is the entire uh, motivation of God from eternity past as to why he created all things. It, it, it is the very motive and purpose of God. So if the Spirit is able to reveal that to us, I mean, that is the crux of the matter. Now, what our relationship with God is afterwards, after we get into eternity, that's one thing. But what God is talking about now while we're on the battlefield, this is what he's saying. And this is the means by which he reveals it to us. So I think it's language of accommodation. That's what I think. So why do I say it? Because I mean, it, the word to search means to seek out, that is, or to investigate, to search. And does God have to do that? Or does God, does he have it so that he knows? When it says, the, so, so the second phrase of it is, and he searches the, the hearts, he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the spirit. Notice it doesn't say, he who searches the hearts knows your mind. Why would he, if he's searching our hearts, he's, he could search our hearts. He, are, he should already know, right? He should already know what the deal is. But the, what he's, the way he's saying it is, he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. And the Spirit, right, this, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with God's will. So when we, when we think about the Spirit's, having this close, intimate uh, connection to, to us, he knows everything. So I think it's really God is trying to say, what he's trying to say through lang language of accommodation is that he knows everything and he has given us the Spirit even for the things that we don't know. The Spirit knows. So he takes, the Spirit takes... So, Because if we know it, we already said this last week, if we know what we need, then we should be praying for it, right? We shouldn't be, God isn't, we can't pray for what we don't know we need. That's not possible. So if we know, we pray. If we don't know, then we, we wouldn't pray. We wouldn't even know to pray. So what does the Holy Spirit do who is closely, he's so integrated with who we are, it, it, that he is us. The Holy Spirit is who we are. So, because without the Spirit, we're not church-age believers. And that integration will never fail. Never. So who we are going forward from here on, and from the baptism of the Spirit on, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, by one Spirit, where we all baptized into one body. And that from that point forward, for us, it happened the moment we believed in Christ, is that that is who we are. That is our identity from now on. And 
the baptism of the Spirit identifies us with the person of Christ, which we know. So, getting back to the thought here, God already knows this information. The language here in these verses is to let us know that they're working for us on our behalf behind the scenes. And that there's nothing left to happenstance or chance. God has it all. He, he is working on our behalf so that no matter what the situation, what the circumstance, he's on top of it. He's not waiting to see, well, let me see. Well, oh, let me see if you're in distress. Let, well, let me check the mind of the spirit to see if you are in distress. No, that stuff works seamlessly. It's language of accommodation. God is using this language because we can't fully understand how he knows, uh, you know, the omniscience of God and how God knows all that, that there is to know with regard to us. So he uses this language of this back and forth of the Father who knows our hearts. But what does he, even though he knows our hearts, who, who does he consult? He consults the Spirit. He knows the mind of the Spirit. So when, and we know it's not, it's not a stretch to say that uh, God uh, looks at the heart, that God the Father. That's 1 Samuel 6, 16, 7. I got a few verses here. 1 Samuel, this is the Old Testament. He always knew God knows everything from, he's the Alpha and the Omega, from the beginning to the end. And what is that? That's all creation. God, creation began, God knew everything. He uses the Greek alphabet from Alpha Omega, but from the beginning, he's the first and the last, right? There's all these other terms. So 1 Samuel 16, 16, 7 says, it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look on the things people look at. But people people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So there is, God has the ability to know what you're thinking. Just like it says, there's another psalm, before a word is on my tongue, you know it, Lord, altogether. I believe that's Psalm 139. So God knows what we're going to say even before we say it. He, why? Because he knows what we think. He already knows. So what I'm saying is, this is language of accommodation. Or Hebrews 4 is another verse that is uh, which we know. We've heard this one. So Hebrews 4, um, 12 and 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, right? So... <laughs> Now get this, the words on the page do not penetrate you, right? Those words are not going into your heart. It is God the Holy Spirit who is behind the Word of God. He is the Spirit of truth. So, so here it is. So it penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And as a result... Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Now, there it is. So, God's sight is comprehensive through and through 
when it comes to all creation. That's what he's saying here. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God has every fact, every thought that ever would, would be uh, in the, from the beginning to the end. Now, of course, when we talk about the end, the end doesn't mean it's over. There is no end because then we go into what we call the eternal state. So, so the beginning is the beginning of human history, the end, the end of human history. And you might even say the beginning is the beginning of the universe. And it even includes angelic history. Let's put it all together. And to the very end, is the end point for angelic and in human history is terminated after the great white throne judgment and God, after he creates new heavens and a new earth, everybody's going to be in their place. They're going to be where they should be. Satan and the evil angels and the lake of fire, all those uh, human beings who rejected the free offer of grace and the lake of fire, believers, us, we are heavenly beings and there are going to be some who also have presence and are visible in the world. And, you know, so... All, everybody will already be in their place. What will be has then has not yet been determined in terms of God's omniscience. But as far as creation is concerned, absolutely, it's covered. So Father knows the hearts, and then uh, you know. So we we there's nothing in all creation that's hidden from God. He can see it all. He created it all. God created time, so we we know. When it comes to time, God has to allow for time to exist. So the succession, the passing of time, is all within the authority and understanding of God. So all of this, all, and he who searches the, mar the hearts knows the mind of the spirit, right? The spirit, and, and just to note, the spirit lives in us. He dwells in us. And so we have a witness on the inside of us articulating our unknown needs, our ignorant needs to the Father. That's, that's what they're saying. He who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. So to say that knows the mind of the Spirit, it's not saying, well, we know there's Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Father turns to the Holy Spirit and says, what's in their mind? No, the Spirit is actually in us. So when he thinks about us, he's also understanding of our, what's in our heart, and he's understanding of the Holy Spirit's job, which is to lead and guide us into all truth. But the, So when we think about it, we don't know what we need. The Spirit does. And, and so the Spirit has to make, he has to look out for us, because it's almost like we're operating blindly, because we're in a battle. Right? That, that's the whole thing. Right? There's a battle going on all around us. Right? There are spiritual forces out there battling. And we are right in the middle of this. We can't see what's going on, but the Spirit can. And He is the witness. He represents us to God. So again, this is language of accommodation, saying that the ministry of the Spirit helps us even when we don't realize it. Remember, we're ignorant. So not only are we ignorant, 
The Holy Spirit doesn't come back and say, hey, by the way, you didn't know this, but I prayed for you, right? I interceded to the Father on your behalf. We don't get the message. We don't get the memo that says that he did it. So, so we would never know that this ministry existed were it not for these verses, that the Spirit is interceding for us. So, I mean, like I said, we're ignorant. We, we are, now we're, we're, we're not ignorant to what we do know, but we're ignorant to what we don't know. So, so one of the ways we think about this is about the Spirit interceding for God's people. So the Spirit intercedes to the Father. He doesn't intercede to us. He intercedes to the Father. Rather, really, we could look at this backwards, this phrase. So I would say it this way. The Spirit, right, uh, the Spirit intercedes for, for God's people in accordance with the will of God. If we just use that phrase first, that's just a statement to make. And then we could follow it with the first part of the verse, and he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. That's the way, that's the way I want to say it. I want to reverse it a little bit. Now, even if we reverse it, we still have, you know, what God said here. It says, and he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I'm just reversing it. I'm saying, well, the fact is that the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And not only that, he who searches the hearts, he knows the mind of the Spirit. So it's saying that Spirit's interceding to the Father. The Father knows the mind of the Spirit. What is that to say? That is to say they are communicating on our behalf. The Father is communicating with the Spirit on our behalf. Because what is the Spirit looking at? He's saying, I'm interceding to you. With groans that cannot be spoken. With wordless groans, as the NIV says, or like the King James would say, in words that cannot be uttered. Unutterable words. So this knowing it's sort of a play on words a little bit. I know I'm flipping it around. I hope I'm not confusing anybody by backing it up. And I'm just trying to make it more able to understand. So it's about what we said before. It's language of accommodation. And what do we take from this? We should know that there are spiritual forces, right? That's the thought. We can't see the battle. We can't know the dangers. But God, the Holy Spirit, can, and he does. And not only does he do it, but he says it's according to the will of God. So in other words, it was ordained by the Father. It's within the plan that he do this for us, that he have this ministry for us. So that, uh, now you think about it when you pray. Sometimes we pray things that are not appropriate. I think James says we might pray amiss meaning it's not according to the will of God. And we have those verses in uh, John 14, which says, if we pray anything in, in my name, I will do it. We have in, another one in John 15 that's coming up, which says, if, uh, if we anything we pray, God will do it, right? So 
This is when we pray in accordance with the Father's eternal purpose. Oh, wow. Of course he will do it because that's why he's, this is why time continues to exist so that God can complete his eternal purpose. So if you see something according to his eternal purpose and you ask God for it, you will get it because it's according to his eternal purpose. And that's why we're here. So, so when we think about it, all of the Holy Spirit's prayers on our behalf, all of them are answered. All of them. God, the Holy Spirit, does not pray that things that are not according to the Father's will. He knows what the Father's will is, and he prays according to the... We don't all the time in our consciousness, but God, the Holy Spirit, does. So uh, I can say... This is a magnificent ministry. I mean, you, you might say, well, won't God just do this anyway? Well, why is he telling us this and all that? Well, obviously, we need this ministry. It's for our good. That's why. So back to Romans, uh, Romans 8. And I would just like to think about these next verses. So, verse 31, what shall, what then shall we say in response to these things? And the things he's talking about uh, will probably be all of the things, but he just said in context, for those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, those he predestined, he also called, those he called, he also justified, those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is he, is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. And here, look at this, is also interceding for us. Who is the other person interceding for us? Because we have also here. It's the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is at work interceding on our behalf. Christ is in heaven interceding on our behalf. Also, Talk about a comprehensive care package. So yes, you're in the world. Yes, it's dangerous. As we're going to get to, yeah, yeah. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger a sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death nor all these things cannot happen once we get to eternity. None of these things are in the eternal state, but they're now. So we're more than more than conquerors through him who loved us. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future. When we say the present or the future, nothing that's happening to you right now 
or nothing that can happen to you in the future. Well, what kind of things can happen to you? Bad things, according to all of what he just said. This is the battlefield. Nor any powers. Nobody has a power greater than the power that is in Christ. Neither height. Nothing that is... If you look up and think about all that is in heaven, to the highest heaven, or depth, nothing that is in Hades or the abyss or any of that, nor anything else in all creation will be able, in other words, will have enough power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That love is powerful. And the Father will never turn his back on Christ. The Father is getting to be able to call out those many sons in the glory through Christ. There's no way he will ever turn his back on you. And you're in this world. It's tough. You can't know that our struggle is, is not with flesh and blood. It's against principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places, all this. And these demons are powerful, more powerful than what we have now, but not who we are. God is saying no matter what, they can't touch us. Now, not to say those things will not happen to us. It's possible, but they will never separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're, we're on the battlefield. What are you saying? Go ahead and serve. Go ahead and serve wholeheartedly. So back to our verse, it's God, the Holy Spirit, the ministry that's behind the scenes is for us. We need it. It is for our good. So this is God's comprehensive care for us while we're on the battlefield. So we're going to have to close, but one last thought. Is this tongues? I have to say, absolutely not. This is not tongues. And I, I, I hesitate to even go down the road of, is this tongues? So I'm just going to say no. One quick thing. These words, it says, cannot be spoken, cannot be uttered, cannot, uh, are groanless, groanless words, or wordless groans. They don't, there's no words to this. What are tongues? Tongues is where the Spirit gives them the ability to speak a language. He, so it, it's opposite of what tongues is. Tongues, tongues is where the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to speak in a foreign language. This is what, it's a language between God the Holy Spirit and God the Father in no, not with words at all. They're communicating, but they're not using words. So it's certainly not tongues. Yeah, we, could, we could talk more about it, but if you have questions about it, then we will go down that road. We have in the past, but uh, I'm hoping that we can dispense with that thought. But if there's a question, I will answer it. So... Um, Hopefully, we're going to have to continue. But guess where we're going to continue? In this famous verse of 828. Now, we know that in all things, 
God works for the good. Now notice, in all things. What do we just talk about? Even things we don't know about. Right? We know that this is going on. We know that God is behind the scenes working things out for us. We know it. We're going to get to this next week. We'll, we'll talk about it more. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of our fellowship that we have where we're able to discuss the deep things that you have given us. We're able to talk about the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. So it is our purpose to not only come to the full knowledge of the truth, but to to walk in that truth, to bear fruit for you, to walk worthy of the calling that we have received. We thank you for those who are here. We pray for wisdom as we continue to conduct ourselves in a manner that is befitting of the glorious call that you have given us to be in Christ, new creations. Uh, Also, we pray for those this, uh, our hearts may have prayer requests, and Lord, we pray. And, and one in particular is Corinne. We're asking for prayer tonight for her. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.